Welcome to Tech Insights from InfoTech Research Group, the podcast where a group of expert analysts cut through all the noise and focus on what really matters for technology leaders. The question for this week, has social media become part of the public square? Sure, the big name social media firms are all owned by private companies. But have they become so big and so popular that they're now entering into the realm of a new digital public space? And if they are, do companies like Twitter have to respect certain rules, like the right to freedom of expression that would normally be reserved for public entities? My first guest today, Joel Bacan, would say yes to those questions. He's the executive producer and director of the 2020 documentary called The New Corporation. His latest film is critical of Silicon Valley and questions whether big tech has too much influence over our lives. Before we chat, here's a quick clip from the trailer of The New Corporation. The greed economy is killing us. We are so steeped in this commodification that it's hard to distinguish between being a consumer and being a citizen. Are you actually going to challenge the power of corporations? This is what the 2020s will be about. You have to really ask yourself, what was your role in this moment in history? And joining me now from Vancouver is Joel Bacan who also happens to be a law professor at the University of British Columbia. Thanks for being here, Joel. Thank you so much. And to kick things off, can you give us a snapshot of what happened last fall when you wanted to promote your documentary on Twitter? Yeah, well, I ask your listeners uh, to pull out your Twitter account, pull out your phone and uh, go to a tweet and go to the bottom right hand corner and you'll see um, three vertical lines. And if you click on those, they show your engagement for that tweet. And at the very bottom, if you scroll down, you'll see uh, there's a, a link that you can click that asks if you want to promote the tweet. Uh, and it says, you know, if you want to reach more people and all of that, push this uh, push this button. And when you do that, uh, you're offered a, a variety of sort of a scale of how much you can pay from $750 for a week to $30,000 for a week or even more, depending on how many followers you have. Um, and that will then get that tweet promoted or boosted, meaning that it will go to more of your followers more often. And if you pay enough, it will go to your non-followers as well. Without promoting a tweet, typically you're only reaching three to 5% of your followers. Um, and so that's not really going to work for an independent film company that's trying to uh, promote its film. So, uh, so we decided to uh, use that service and uh, effectively offered to pay to promote the tweet and we were rejected. Uh, initially, we were rejected by a bot under an artificial intelligence program, I presume. Um, but we finally reached a human being and um, went back and forth uh, with that person and was rejected uh, despite continuing sort of appeals, uh, was rejected six different times for four different reasons. 
Uh, we were told it was too political. We were told it was inappropriate. We were told it was sensitive targeting. We were told that it was cause advertising. Uh, so all these things went back and forth. And in the final uh, note, um, you know, we said to them, come on, this is this is a credible documentary. Uh, you know, it's on Crave. It's um, it's funded by all the major uh, government of Canada funding agencies, Telefilm Canada, Canada Medium Fund, Media Fund. Um, uh, it's uh, it's got very um, esteemed uh, people talking in it, like you know Harvard's Michael Mandel and all kinds of academics and politicians and leaders of companies. Uh, Lord John Brown, the former leader of British Petroleum and many, many others. Uh, why, you know, why are you banning this? It's credible. And the response back was, um, sorry, but we don't have the resources to assess the credibility of the various things on our platform. So we just impose a global ban on things that we think uh, violate our policies. And so see you later, that's that. Um, so needless to say, I mean, it's the height of sort of arbitrariness of providing no reasons. We still don't know what it is about our trailer that offended their policies. Um, but we do know that they are precluding us from promoting this tweet. Right. Some listeners might be hearing your story and thinking, well, there's a lot of way to advertise things these days. Why not just use a different service to market your film? Yeah, and and that's that's a fair comment. And you know, there there are two ways to address that. One is in practical terms, uh, Twitter has kind of become the the leading or crucial platform for promoting independent films. So you know, there are different types of uh, things that you might want to advertise. If you want to advertise uh, pharmaceuticals for your dog, uh, you know, I see a lot of those on CNN when I'm watching CNN. Um, but for this particular industry, independent films, Twitter is really a crucial platform because it reaches uh, journalists, it reaches policymakers, it reaches cultural critics, it reaches the kind of people you need to reach, film distributor companies, all of that. Um, and our film was on the long list for Oscar consideration for best documentary. And we wanted to get it on the short list. Um, and typically uh, film companies, you know, wage very, uh, 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 substantial campaigns to, to try to do that. And um, so part of the reason we wanted to uh, promote the film on Twitter was to get some attention in order to get it on the long on the short list. Um, and we were also looking for distribution deals. We had a distribution deal in Canada, but we didn't at that time have distribution deals in any other countries. Um, so it was really important to us to to use Twitter uh, as an independent film company to get this film out there in the world and get attention for it. But those are the practical reasons. There are also, and I think primarily for me at least, principled reasons. Um, and you know, getting back to your question, why not just go somewhere else? Well, if you're discriminated against uh, uh, because of say your color or your religion, uh, by uh, a widget seller, by widget seller B, um, the fact that you can go buy a widget at widget seller A uh, doesn't deny that that discrimination happened. And, and so by analogy, I mean, Twitter acted wrongfully, and we argue illegally in muzzling our freedom of expression. And as a matter of principle, we feel they need to be stopped from doing that to us and to others. 
Uh, so the real reason for for this case, I mean, we can't go back. The Oscar season is over, and uh, you know, the, it's it's hard to get a remedy for the the tangible harms that were caused to us. But we're interested in doing this for for reasons of principle, um, so that uh, that that Twitter is is properly governed, uh, which currently it is not. Right, and it's worth pointing out here, Joel, that um, the argument you're you're making here against Twitter is sort of really in sync with the messages that are in your film, too. Yeah, that's I mean, that's one of the truly amazing things is that it feels like this case walked straight out of the film. Um, If somebody else had taken this case prior to our making the film, uh, it's not unlikely it would have been in the film. I mean, our film is about the threat of growing corporate power to democracy and to human rights and to things like freedom of expression. And we focus particularly on the threat that's being posed by big tech uh, and by platforms like Facebook and Twitter and Google and Amazon and uh, and Uber. I mean, we we talk about those in the film and we worry about the, the sort of unchecked uh, power and growing power that these uh, that these internet platforms have. Uh, and here we are uh, launching a case against the unchecked power of an internet platform to restrict our freedom of speech. So there are two legal actions that you filed in Ontario. Uh, one is against Twitter and one is against the Canadian government. Can you break down the main legal thrust of your case against Twitter? Uh, anything else that you haven't already told me? What What is the legal argument you're going to put before the court against Twitter here. Yeah, and and so it's fairly simple. And again, anybody who's been on Twitter knows that you you enter a standard form agreement uh, as a user of Twitter, um, which is called the user agreement. And the policies that Twitter relied upon to reject our tweet are all in that agreement. Uh, you know, you have to go a few steps to find them because in the agreement you enter, it says if you want to place an ad, this is how you do it. And that will be governed over here by another agreement. But in essence, our contractual relationship with Twitter uh, included the policies that they used to reject our ad. And so our argument following precedent from the Supreme Court of Canada is that the law of contract has to align with the charter's freedom of expression values, which means that when Twitter operates within its contracts with its users, it has certain obligations in relation to freedom of expression. And the argument depends on on the fact that Twitter plays a unique role. it's become a central part of Canada's democratic infrastructure. It's used by governments, it's used by courts, it's used by public agencies uh, to communicate with citizens, it's used by citizens to communicate with each other, it's used by journalists, culture providers. And, And so the basic argument is that even though a company in Twitter's position might normally be able to say, look, we have freedom of contract to do whatever we want within the terms of the contract. What we're saying is that because of Twitter's unique uh, role uh, and uniqueness as a company, uh, it can't act with complete disregard for charter values. And so I think it's important to say, because people out there know that Donald Trump has also launched a case against Twitter, 
Now, this case is very different than his. We are not claiming that Twitter should be directly subject to the Constitution, as you pointed out, Brian, on, at, at the very top. Normally, um, the Constitution only applies to public actors, to governments. So we're not saying that Twitter as a private corporation um, is subject to the Constitution in the way that Donald Trump is saying that. What we're saying is that contract law is subject to the Constitution, and it is by virtue of Section 52 of the Constitution Act of 1982 and the Supreme Court precedents I mentioned. And so contract law is subject to the Constitution and Twitter is subject to contract law. So indirectly, Twitter has to abide by the charter values that are referentially incorporated into contract law itself. And you mentioned that you have some precedents in mind for this case. Uh, looking at your legal filing, I gather that one involved Pepsi Cola uh, and something that uh, happened with it in Saskatchewan in regards to some workers that were on strike. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and, and how it fits into your arguments? Yeah, I think the the key thing, and it's great that you picked up on that, Brian, because the, the key thing is that that is a case between two private entities, just like this one is. There's no government actor involved. It's Pepsi-Cola versus the retail, wholesale, and department store union. So it's a company against a union, two private actors. Uh, the workers were locked out, so they decided that they wanted to retaliate against Pepsi-Cola. So they went and they picketed not only Pepsi-Cola, uh, bottling plants, but they also picketed retailers uh, like gas stations and convenience stores that were selling Pepsi products. So Pepsi seeks an injunction against the union to stop it from picketing, and it gets the injunction in a lower court. The basis for the injunction was a common law rule that effectively banned all picketing that was beyond the primary employer, so beyond PepsiCo. So you're allowed to pick at PepsiCo, but you're not allowed to pick at Mohawk gas stations that are carrying PepsiCo products is, uh, is what the rule says. And, what, and, and that's called secondary picketing. So that's banned by a common law rule. And what the court said is they said the injunction was invalid. Why? Because that common law rule like all common law rules, had to be assessed against the charter's free speech values. And what the court said is that total ban on secondary picketing was a violation of free speech values. And therefore, the common law rule had to be narrowed. And therefore, the injunction that was based on the common law rule uh, had to be declared invalid and lifted. And so similarly, by analogy to that case, we're saying that the absolute discretion that Twitter has under the common law rules of contract to restrict speech is, is wrong because those common law rules of contract have to align with the charter value of freedom of expression, and currently they don't. And so we're asking the court to adjust the rules of contract law so that they align with the charter value of freedom of expression. And once that has happened, Twitter loses its freedom of contract to do what it did to us and to others. Let's shift now to the lawsuit against the government of Canada. Why do you think the federal government failed in its obligation to protect the Charter of Freedoms? 
Yeah, again, the the key question in that case, and and basically our argument um, again is based on a lot of Supreme Court of Canada precedent that suggests that uh, the freedom of expression is not only a freedom to be protected from government action, but it's also a freedom that has to be protected by government action, so that there is a place for making an argument that at least in some circumstances, and we say this is one of them, the charter actually imposes a duty on government to pass legislation, uh, not just a duty to not restrict speech, but a duty to facilitate and protect speech. And so our argument is that the federal government is also regulating, is already uh, regulating the platforms to some extent. There are some privacy protections in the Digital Privacy Act, Bill C-10 proposes to uh, bring the platforms under the Broadcasting Act. Uh, there have been proposals, official proposals by the government to impose uh, restrictions on hate speech on the Internet. And, and we're saying that's all great. You know, we 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 support all of that. Um, but uh, our argument is that it doesn't go far enough that if the government is going to be regulating the platforms, uh, it has to do so in a way that comports with the charter. And again, that's based on uh, Supreme Court of Canada precedent. If they're going to be regulating, they have to do it in a way that comports with the charter. And what we're saying is that means um, that whether as a part of the current bills that are on the table or in a new bill, um, the government has to uh, enact some protections of freedom of expression on the platform. And we're not saying, you know, that it has to guarantee complete freedom of expression because our freedom of expression law in Canada doesn't do that. Our freedom of expression law in Canada has a large uh, space for governments restricting hate speech, misogynist speech, um, discriminatory speech. So we're we're okay with all of that, and and we think that you know the government of Canada should go ahead and protect those very important interests uh, from harmful speech. But what we're saying is that the government of Canada must protect speech that isn't those things, speech that is what our Supreme Court of Canada has said, high value speech, speech that's about ideas, about change, about policy. And that's what our speech is. That's what the new corporation is about. So we're saying it, it lies at the heart of what our Supreme Court of Canada says lies at the heart of the freedom of expression guarantee in the charter. And so that's what we're asking the government of Canada to protect. And that's what we're saying it actually must protect uh, under our Charter of Rights and Freedoms. You point out to uh, Bill C-10 there, which is the legislation that is before Parliament right now to uh, reconsider how we govern technology firms and the digital realm in Canada. And I wonder if you're aware of that effort and you want uh, the law to be different, why not participate in the feedback on that policy so that you can get the government to change its approach with these platforms? Yeah, I, you know, what, what history shows um, is that change happens when a variety of different pressures are put on governments and other power wielders. When you look, for example, at the civil rights movement, um, you know, at the back in the 1960s, uh, there were a multiple multiple avenues of and multiple strategies that 
were being deployed um, by African Americans to, uh, on the one hand, try to get um, federal laws that protected civil rights and liberties, uh, but they were also in the streets, they were also launching court cases, they were also working at the municipal and state levels. And, and I think for, uh, for large changes to happen, like the governance, the democratic governance of the digital platforms, um, you really need to, uh, to pursue a variety of strategies. So it's crucial and very important to participate in legislative reform processes and committee hearings and so forth. Uh, and I haven't ruled out doing so. Um, I may do that. Um, but, uh, you know, there are other groups out there who, who are, are more expert. My expertise is in law. Uh, and this isn't just another policy issue. This is an issue about law. You know, this isn't uh, about, you know, where to uh, to build the next stadium or or whatever, a zoning thing or, uh, or or some other policy issue or even environmental policy. This is about constitutional law. Our argument is that the government is violating the charter. And that's an argument you make in court. And that is that doesn't mean that's the exclusive place you make the argument. You can make it in the streets. You can make it in legislative committees as well. But it's certainly an argument that needs to be made in the courts. And when you look at history, it really is when you have those kind of uh, multiple strategies in the courts, in the streets, in, in the chambers of the legislature, uh, when all of those things are working together, that's really when change happens. Uh, and so my particular expertise is in making legal arguments, not necessarily making policy arguments before legislative committees. But as I say, I'm, I'm not ruling out uh, the possibility of, of being part of those processes, but my focus uh, is on the legal side of things and, and therefore the courts. Fair enough. One last question for you, Joel. Is this lawsuit a marketing stunt for the new corporation, Phil? Uh, no, uh, you know, I mean, I can I can say that uh, quite simply. I I wish that um, our marketing strategy um, had succeeded and we didn't have to do this. Uh, I wish that Twitter had uh, uh, allowed us to run our campaign on its platform for the new corporation. Uh, were that the case, who knows where we would be now? We might be in a, a better place in terms of uh, the marketing strategy, we might have more distribution deals. I, I just can't say. But what I can say is that they stopped us. And I wish they hadn't, but they did. And what I can also say, as I mentioned before, is that this case is really just an extension of what we were talking about in the film. And the film is really just an extent and the book, uh, which the film is based on, which I wrote. Um, and the film and the book are really just extensions of my entire career's worth of thinking and teaching and writing. The areas that I focused on uh, throughout my career and continue to are the charter um, of rights and freedoms. I teach constitutional law and write about it and have written books about it and articles. Uh, and particularly free speech is an area of great concern to me and interest. Uh, I write about the dangers of excessive corporate power, including big techs. Uh, and I write about and teach, I teach contract law. Um, so, you know, this case, needless to say, uh, brings together everything I've been doing through my whole career, constitutional law, dangers of excessive corporate power and contract law. And all of that work throughout my entire career has been driven 
by an overarching and principled concern about the fate of democracy. Uh, I want to ensure it's protected. I want to ensure it becomes increasingly robust at a time when things seem to be going in the opposite direction, not least because of the power of the big tech platforms. So for me, um, far from being a, a publicity stunt, this case is kind of the, the apex of my entire career's interest um, and concern and, and uh, felt need to get into the fray of law and public policy and try to create change uh, that makes for a better world. I mean, that's, that's why I'm fighting this case. Joel, thanks so much for coming on Tech Insights to talk about this. Thank you. I've greatly enjoyed it. So we just heard a very accomplished lawyer make his case. But I still wanted to bring in one more lawyer to this conversation. Monica Goyle is the Director of Legal Innovation at Caravel Law. And while she's not directly involved in Joel and Sujit's lawsuits, she has reviewed their court filings. She joins me from Toronto. Thanks for speaking with me, Monica. Thank you for having me, Brian. So my layman's understanding of the law in Canada suggests that private companies don't have to uphold freedom of expression on their properties, which means that Twitter wouldn't have to advertise anything that it didn't want to advertise. So I really want to know, what do you think the chances that these two cases have a chance of getting past the first day in court? Yeah, this is a good question, and it goes to the heart of these two applications, and they are novel legal uh, issues and questions, and I would say that there's no real good precedent for um, either of the applications. So one of the applications is against Twitter, uh, and that application is with respect to freedom of contract. Um, it's a contractual argument that they're making. Um, the second application is vis-a-vis um, -vis the government of Canada. And it's saying, in that application, it's saying that um, the government of Canada should regulate Twitter and, and social media um, um, companies. So, you know, uh, so the way that Twitter or Government of Canada would approach this is that they would bring a motion to dismiss and they would basically say that there is no legal basis for these applications. That's probably uh, where we're going to see the main arguments of these applications. And to your point, you know, being thrown out on day one, that would be the day one, this motion to dismiss um, uh, is where that judge would make that uh, finding or or decide uh, whether or not to throw throughout these applications. Okay, you know it. It seems to me like they're challenging the status quo, right? That as of today, my understanding is uh, a private company that operates a website gets to decide what can be posted to that website and especially what can be advertised on that website. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right there. And I think of this as kind of newspapers. Like if we want to think about the, the you know, old kind of model, like you think about a newspaper and you think about, you know, would the government of Canada, for example, be able to go to 
you know, Toronto Star and say, you've got to publish this advertisement or a pub or in this case, it's like a private organization. So private, you know, group saying to Toronto Star, hey, can you, you know, publish this ad and, and saying you have to actually you have an obligation to do so. And and we and I think, you know, if we think about it in that way, we would say, no, there's no obligation for, you know, private organization to publish something. And I think that is um, envisioned if you read their application, that argument is envisioned because they said Twitter has a freedom of expression right as well and it's uh, it is true so what by by saying that they twitter has an obligation to um post these ads in a way they're saying that you know even if they don't want to say something they've got to say something so you know that that doesn't i think sit right for i it doesn't sit right with me um and uh you know i would say that as a private organization that they they don't have a right or obligation um they don't have an obligation to uh say something that they don't agree with okay well do you think that the courts will see more challenges like this one asking them to hold technology companies accountable to public standards the challenge in canada anyways is that the courts are a are expensive and it takes a long time to get um, you know, a case through the courts, especially in light of COVID. Um, so it's mainly about expense, I think, that holds people back from um, you know, holding technology companies accountable. There's a, there's a slew of issues that I think the public is interested in, not just about freedom of expression, but like privacy, security, um, you know, uh, you know, privacy breaches. But I think for many Canadians, it's just not um, worth it to um, take these companies to court. And especially, you know, in light of the fact that they have um, big pockets, they have a lot of money. Um, so you know that you're going to be, you know, against somebody, they're going to have, you know, good legal representation. So, um, I just think that that's the barrier to to these things, and I but I do think that there is a public appetite or thinking about you know what is the role of social media um, companies, uh, Facebook, for example, with respect to the um, vaccinations. What some some have said is misinformation around vaccination. So what obligation does Facebook have in light of that? So I, I think that these are very real and present issues today. Thanks so much for telling me all about this, Monica. Thank you for speaking with me. And for our listeners, thanks for listening to another episode of Tech Insights. Remember, there's a new episode every Monday morning. To get that episode, you have to subscribe to us. Subscribe on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts, or on Google Podcasts. Really, wherever you want your podcasts, you can find Tech Insights. I'm Brian Jackson.